Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Conveyancing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in again. I'm joined again by my co-host Thomas. How are you Thomas? I'm good. Here we are again. I see a lot of episodes ahead of us and a lot of articles to be covered. Yep, looking forward to going into the articles again. Um, Please subscribe for more news. Um, we, we're now like available on uh, more different channels um, we were originally on YouTube we've got a Facebook and a Twitter now and we've published the podcast onto Anchor FM which means it's now available on Spotify and Google Podcasts and other things including Breaker Pocket Casts Radio Public um, so if you're on the move you won't be able to see the what we're looking at on the screen, but hopefully you can listen along and um, enjoy it that way, in the car or on the bus or whatever. So, um, so Thomas, shall we get into these articles? Or yeah, without further ado, why don't we start? So, starting with the Law Society Gazette. We have the first article that says, Worse than LASPO, Housing Disputes Proposal Divides Profession. Okay. Um, Yes, it looks like the Law Society is trying to set up a new housing disputes service. Um, This is uh, for disputes between landlords and tenants. Um, for dealing with any disputes that arise between them. Um, I think that the upshot of this article is that at the moment it's, it goes through a judici- judicial process where, I, I don't know if it's a magistrate, these um, disputes are s- resolved in the courts, um, whereas it now seems as if they're going to be outsourced to firms of solicitors or something. I may have it wrong, but um, the article's not incredibly clear. No, not at all. But it gives us a general idea, and I I do believe it's exactly how uh, you said. Mm. And um, it seems like the system's got a lot of criticism uh, in the past, and uh, mm. and saying that there's just not not enough advice for the consumer, for the people that are affected. I guess the tenants, but I, I guess it could be the landlords as well, because um, maybe if you get a bad tenant, and you don't really get much support through the court, because I guess the uh, landlord could be out of pocket if they get a bad tenant who like smashes up their house or something. Yeah. Whereas the tenant isn't really losing in that situation. (laughs) Uh, Moving on. There is another article here that is about a solicitor who cashed 4.7 grand into a personal account and struck off. So what I have understood of this article is uh, a solicitor, a woman, uh, called, uh, as we can see here, Vidal Ilulier Martin. Um, 
essentially admitted in 2005 that she persuaded Miss X, and the name is not stated, to write a 4.7 grand pound check to her personal account. This has gotten out, and because of it being out now, she's been completely struck off, which means she will no longer be able to be a solicitor, or work as a solicitor, I mean. Um, what else do you think, Matthew? Yes, it's, when she became when she came under investigation, they asked her about the money, and she said that she didn't realise she paid into her own account. But I find it quite hard to believe that. Yeah, when it says she's admitted in 2005, that means she became a solicitor in 2005. Right. And um, yeah, she was practising at the Essex firm Brighton Sons. Uh, when the when the incident took place, yeah, she um, it says here that she told the client that the money was needed for repairs to her property. I assume that the repairs were never done. Yeah, I'm I'm not entirely knowledgeable on the property itself, but maybe there weren't actually any repairs to have been done in the first place. We'll never know, but. You know, how it looks, I don't think she was trying to repair anything. I do believe she was trying to pocket this money. But it's very strange how she was thinking this was going to be a good idea, how she might get out of this. And here at the end, we see that she was struck off and ordered to pay costs of 47 grand. Or 47,515. Pounds. Yeah, that is crazy. And it says here <laughs> that she spent more than two thousand two hundred of the money she s that was put into her account before her next monthly salary. So it's unlikely she didn't notice that it wasn't her money if she spent that much. Two thousand, like immediately, practically. That's pretty crazy. I. Yeah, I don't know. In my mind, there's no doubt. But whatever happens, if it was... Whatever's happened now, like, whatever was the case, I mean, she's already been struck off. So there's nothing that can really be done. Yeah, I mean, it's all unfortunate. But, you know, you can't have people who are in trust position of trust, like, abusing the trust. It says mm. here as well that she's a single parent with two... Dependent children. That's um, that's. The events were truly exceptional, and the impact on the respondent was likely to be devastating. Uh, it says a finding of dishonesty does not always mean a strike off is appropriate. So they didn't have to strike her off. So I wonder why. I mean, she she. I guess she would have been fired, but just not struck off then. But they decided to stri strike her off anyway. Mm. I mean, it's a large sum of money, really, like £4,000, nearly 5000 practically. It's. I don't know how long... I don't know whether you're struck off permanently or whether there's a time limit on that. Maybe you can come back after five years or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you'd have to retake some exams or something. I don't know. We need I to hope find she, out. Yeah, I hope she... Maybe we can get back to this 
later on. I hope she finds a way to make it all work. She's got two dependent children. It'd be hard Let's to relearn to to have to like learn something new when you've already qualified as solicitor. Yeah. You have to go Definitely. back and retrain as something else. Hey, so moving on with the next article, I don't think we've talked about coronavirus. We were just talking about this earlier, but this next article is on the BBC and it's about coronavirus banks to allow customers to defer mortgage payments. Yes. Um, well, it's looking at our uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, which um, is taxpayer owned. So I don't know if other banks will follow suit, but they're saying that anybody affected by the coronavirus will be allowed to have a, a, a repayment holiday on their mortgage or their loans for up to three months, I guess, to give them time, you know, if they haven't been able to go out to work. Um, yeah. But I don't know if they'll continue to charge them interest during that time. Yeah, that's the thing. I think we were looking through the article and one that struck out was... Um, what was it? Oh, yeah. It's uh, cases of mortgage repayment holidays are being taken on a case-by-case basis. Like, looking at the article, it didn't look like there's much of a catch. Uh, that's what I was... While I was looking at it, I, I didn't think there was much of a catch, but um, how it sounds, it could be just like you walk up and you say, oh, I, I've got coronavirus, and they might or they might not mm. do this. And, you know, as you just said, it only really... Uh, right. Sorry, we had to take a break there um, due to some technical difficulties. Um what were you uh, saying, Thomas? So, um, as I was reading the article, as we were reading the article together, we saw something that wasn't much of a... It wasn't a catch, I guess. Um, but for what it is, um, it says here, uh, cases of mortgage repayment holidays are being taken on a case-by-case basis, and the length of any suspension can vary between banks. So, the banks that will follow through on this will will which will go along with this i mean uh tsb and lloyds and the uh royal bank of scotland i'm not sure if hmm. they're affiliated they're, they're all kind of connected aren't they because they yeah. were all uh taken over by the government during the crisis so they're all they all had have partial government ownership i thought some of them had sold their government uh shares but not sure yeah so yeah they're just gonna look like if you come in and say i've got you know i've had coronavirus i can't pay my mortgage they may or may not help you basically yeah there's no promise it's just a a a thing that could happen but it might not that's all but it's it's always worth a try you can always go over there if you have coronavirus or if the person who's in charge suffers coronavirus, you have to go in there. Yeah, in and they're saying place. here, uh, UK Finance, which represents the major banks, said that all banks would consider increasing overdrafts 
Yeah, I mean, if they increase your overdraft, they're going to make more money, aren't they? Yeah. So I guess the catch is that they will potentially allow or not allow you to do it, and they might increase the amount of money you will have to pay at the end, or interest. Mm. It's uh, It sounds good on paper. I mean, in, in general, it might be a, a good thing, possibly, for many people who do suffer from coronavirus right now who are infected. But This analysis here is interesting. He's saying um, that normally if you took a holiday from your mortgage, it would affect your credit rating. So it, will it affect your credit rating if you take this holiday? And and also he's saying, what would you need to prove that you were eligible, like a, a letter from your doctor saying that you'd had the virus or whatever? Yeah. That No, he, he makes a point. They haven't answered that question yet, he says here as well. This is by Andy Verity. Verity. And here it says they're doing the same scheme all across Italy. Oh, ooh, I see. <laughs> it's quite bad in Italy, isn't it? Yeah, Italy's got it bad right now. They've quarantined the entire country, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it started with the quarantine in the north, but now they've expanded it across the whole country. Yeah. Either way, <laughs> let's move on. So this is another one from the BBC. The title is Budget 2020. First-time buyers need more help. This article is written by Robert Plummer, and it's it's talking about whether renting or paying a mortgage under 35-year-olds are more concerned about housing than just any other financial issues. So what are your thoughts on this article, Matthew? Yes, I mean, obviously, if you do a survey on um, under 35s, they're bound to want help getting into the housing market. It's it's very expensive at the moment. Um, I think we had some stats that you know it can cost six times your your annual salary to to uh, buy a house or more. Which yeah, we saw that. Historically, um, it would have been only, you know, two or three times your annual salary in the past. Um, but there's two ways the government can tackle this. It's, they can make buy-to-letters um, landlords keep their rents down, controlling their rents. Which, I don't know, that doesn't seem to me... Um, that's not like a free market, is it? If you're telling people they're not allowed to make money. Yeah, not necessarily. Or you could tax people more who... You could tax landlords more on their buy-to-let properties and then use that money to give it to first-time buyers to help them buy the houses. Yeah. But, you know, both things really are affecting the free market. Um, it's a shame it affects young people and it's it sort of hints here that landlords are living it up basically like hard up young people are paying for their landlords lifestyles (laughs) 
you know, I guess historically, like in the past when rents were cheaper and houses were cheaper, like people weren't making vast profits like they are now. But then again, it's good for the economy to have people walking around with lots of money in their pocket, presumably spending it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite a long article. It's probably worth a, a good read. We've only really scratched the surface there. Yeah. I guess, as always, it's um, it's all harder in London than it is in the rest of the country. It's kind of like if you're outside the M25. So, let's... Um, move on. Um... Moving on from Law Gazette, BBC, we now have the Daily Mail. So on the Daily Mail, this article reads, How price, uh, rises, uh, House price rises level off after election bounce. And then, but Halifax warns that coronavirus could dent property markets recovery. Yes, it seems that the house prices rose after the con- last Conservative uh, election victory but now they're cooling off a bit and it's possible that coronavirus could further affect that Um, back in December and January we had strong like 4% growth and now it's down to like under 3% so yeah we got some nice graphs here yeah, these were the ones we were talking about just a minute ago. These ones uh, yeah. give us quite quite good information on on the price at the moment, on the price, uh, how, how it's how it was at uh, a pretty good low in nineteen around like the nineteen ninety five um, year, and then uh, since then it's kind of just been scaling up. Um, yeah, this graph shows how many times your your yearly earnings a house would cost on average so yeah in 1995 it was under three times your yearly income like back in 1990 it was higher than that it was like four and a half times but ever since sort of 2004 it's been about six to seven times and that became well is it it says here that the long run average was around 4.5 times your yearly earnings, but mm. it seems that since 2004, it's kind of stayed at above that. It's it's kept itself above that average. Mm. Maybe it does turn into an average sooner or later because of how many how how long it's been with this. Yeah, sometimes I think I'd I'd like to see what would happen if the prices came down. Sometimes I think it doesn't matter if they stay high. I think really it depends on wages, whether people are getting decent enough wages. But as the wages rise, the house prices rise because people can afford to pay more. Yeah. So it's probably better for things just to stabilise and... And this one here, uh, there's another graph here. Yeah. What was this one? Oh, yeah, homes for sale. This one um, shows that 
this is is this the beginning of January this year? I think that's is every January since two thousand and nine. So oh, two thousand nine yeah, yeah, right. to two thousand twenty. Yeah, so two thousand nine we had above was that thousands? Well it says Homes per surveyor. It's done by the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors at Market Survey. So it's it's a weird um, scale because it's houses per surveyor. So how however many surveyors there were in the country, I guess. It's a little strange, but essentially the figure goes from well, starting uh, January two thousand nine, it seems to be above seventy. I'm going to go ahead and said that's like seventy thousand homes, maybe. So it goes from that amount, and it steadily goes down. And right now, January of two thousand twenty, we are below fifty, which I'm Nearly again down going to forty. To... Yeah, I think we are actually down to forty. It's uh... this is basically nearly halved the amount of properties available on the market. Yeah, it's crazy. In 11 years, practically. Yeah. Well, I think that reflects in how the the prices have been so high. Mm. Maybe, Maybe if they built more homes, the prices would ease down a bit. Yeah, I guess if there's more demand than there is offer, then I guess it could explain it to a certain extent there. Supply and demand. Supply and demand. Moving on, we've got another article here from the Daily Mail, and it says MPs call on lenders to halt all repossessions against mortgage prisoners. I have written down payers, but prisoners is better in this case until help arrives yes um, it says that members of parliament have called on uh, mortgage lenders to cease repossessions against mortgage prisoners until a working group is established to help them so they're looking to set up a all party parliamentary group uh, mortgage prisoners it says there's like half a million mortgage borrowers affected by this and during the crisis their home loan was sold to unregulated lenders Mm. not really you know I don't really understand how this happens but they if they wanted to remortgage and take advantage of like lower rates that are available now they can't because these unregulated uh, lenders won't allow them to move so I guess this uh, parliamentary group is looking into like how can they free up free these people from their prisons yeah if it's possible it'd be great if some people could get out of it (laughs) I'm not sure if it by law they're allowed to lock them into these uh, mortgages if the parliament needs to pass some laws to release them from the from the trap yeah it all seems a bit crazy it does but 
I guess for now they get to just carry on living in their homes. I, I don't know if that means they have to pay their mortgages or they can just stop paying them until mm. um, something's figured out. But that's a, for half a million mortgage borrowers is a lot of people. That is a lot of people. It's crazy that they're all affected by this sort of a problem. <laughs> mm. It's not good. But um, that's how the market is at the moment. Um, so this website we haven't covered before. This one's called First Time Buyers. And on First Time Buyers, we've uh, found this little article that uh, states putting down roots in Milton Keynes. So whoever wants to put down roots in Milton Keynes, um, here's a little interesting article for you. Now, we read through this, and something that struck both of us as a bit odd was um, that the the pricing... So it, it says that the pricing starts from £367,750 for a three-bedroom house and about... What's that? Uh, nearly, you know, it is, yeah, half over, a yeah, half a million or over £111,000 more for a four-bedroom house. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be first time by a magazine, and uh, that's quite a hefty first time buy. Yeah. But this development offers 225 new homes. And we were saying about Milton Keynes is like a new town, so presumably the communications there are pretty good. The roads and the internet and the electricity and everything should be okay. Yeah, of course. It it doesn't seem like it's bad pricing, really, but we have to keep we have to take into account. Oh, pardon me. We have to take into account the fact that this is first time buyer magazine you know uh even though it is it's probably you know they had to write an article about this place so that people would know what they were getting themselves into if they ever wanted to buy their first house in milton Keynes. and it's it's crazy like i know it's it's probably a very very developed and advanced place because it's a brand new town but it's Asking for you know nearly four hundred thousand pounds and then half a million pounds for a three or four bedroom house. It's a a very hefty price in general, in my opinion. It's a very popular area because it's close to the M1 motorway, which gives you sort of access to up to London and up to the north and across to the West Country. No. Hmm. Yeah, of course, there's probably more positives and more negatives that can be found. Yeah, here it says it's got uh, several good-rated primary schools next yeah. to the area. 200-mile network of paths for cyclists and pedestrians. Well, that's crazy that good. Nice, no? Yeah, perfect for families. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on to legal futures now. Yeah. So 
this article on legal futures is by Neil Rose, and the article uh, says, Merger and Acquisition Make Southeast New Battleground. Yes. Well, there's two big firms, it seems, are merging in a £40 million merger. It's Moore, Blatch and Barlow Robbins. And the new firm will be 70 partners, 272 lawyers, and a total of nearly 500 staff. So, I'm not sure they, I don't think they just do conveyancing, I think they do lots of different um, legal work covering all, all aspects of the, of normal life. I, I went to look at one of their websites, um, but they do do conveyancing. So mm. uh, it says that they'll be they'll have a turnover of forty million a year, so they'll easily be in the top one hundred law firms. Wow, they've really um. have really done it now so if they were going to be in the top 100 that means they're pretty good yeah it'd be exciting to work there at this time all the yeah changes. definitely with all yeah definitely with all these changes going on it's probably prime time for someone or a bunch of people to try and run over there and grab themselves a job in, in this this mm. merge Unless they're Definitely. like cutting back because they're, if they have like two IT systems, they might want to switch to just having one, and they might fire half the people. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. But maybe they'll hire more people in other departments. But they might have to kick some of the IT people out. That'll be a shame. Well, they might during the restructuring. They might need to set up new teams to kind of oversee everything and integrate everyone into the new system. Yeah, I mean they're going to have more employees now, so having different groups that actually uh, coordinate the amount of employees that they'll have now is probably going to open up more spaces as well and everything. Yes, it says here that yesterday they reported that. Knights spent 8.5 million to buy ASB Law to become to have 89 fee earners with a turnover of 12 million. That's that's about quarter of the size of what we're talking about here. So that's small fry. Yeah. That's small fry in comparison. Okay. Last but not least, like we've done in the past two podcasts, uh, let's look at a nice, beautiful seven-bedroom home in the South Downs, which comes with a 12th-century bishop's palace. Yeah, I mean, the South Downs is a very beautiful part of the country anyway. If you go walking along there, sort of like rolling green hills, seaside, everything. Yeah. 
and I mean 12th century bishops palace that's pretty old that's like eight nine hundred years old isn't it yeah that's crazy if I, this is a picture of the place it's so nice and green I love these old walls you get these like brick wall gardens the brick wall like protects the plants from the weather and they yeah. build these like lean-to greenhouses against the, the big wall. Hmm. It's like an original old greenhouse from probably Victorian times or earlier. No? Yeah, this is already looking like a very nice garden. To be honest, it's it's smaller than the one that we covered last week. The was it thirteen acre? Yeah, that was that's, huge. That's just, a, that's just a huge garden. This is probably a lot smaller in comparison, but way smaller. But it looks, in general, it looks nicer. Mm. Like, it's very sunny, too, when they took this photo, so everything has this nice, warm feeling to it. Very nice. And they're growing tulips here, like some kind of flowers that look like tulips. Hmm. I don't know. The garden looks oh, very, uh, a bit bigger. It's got, like, a little river in there yeah they've got their own personal it's it looks like like a uh, a river that at the same time has turned itself into a fountain there it's very nice oh, so this is what the bishop's palace is it's like an old um like church monument it's yeah. lost its roof it's just like <laughs> the window holes and just a bit of the wall remaining standing but it looks yeah, like ready this... for visitors to walk around. It's got um, steps and benches and stuff. Very nice. They've also the you can see how the the trail, um, the old trail, is still there too. It's sort of like a what's that? Like a sort of a, a small bridge there, many times of stone or something. It's mm. sunk into the ground. It looks very nice. So they've listed it for two point four seven five million pounds. So you get yeah. ten acres of land, five and a half thousand square foot house, and the bishop's palace. If any of you listening want to hurry over and buy this before it goes up, then you know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Look at that. The interior is very. I. I don't think it's, I, I should say old-fashioned because it's not very old-fashioned, is it? But it's it's definitely trying to keep its theme here. Hmm. Yeah, it's got these massive curtains. The wallpaper's a bit lively, isn't it? Like Yeah. There's kind of a crisscross pattern, quite dark blue... But the furniture kind of, yeah, it's not very modern. It, it's a bit old-fashioned. No. Yeah, that's but what the I mean. kitchen's oh, more. Look at the kitchen, yeah. What you'd expect. Kitchen's very nice. It's got an island. Um, it's so it's squared. Let's, let's say it like that. So it's a square. It's got uh, the photo's been taken, looking towards a corner. You've got on the right side. You've got is that that could be an oven and it's a like stove. An Ah. It's an Argo, it's an old oil-fired or wood-fired sort of uh, cast-iron 
cooker. It's like yeah. always on. You can also hook them up to heat water. Oh, and in the corner you can see the fridge and what looks like to be an oven and a microwave oven. Then, yeah, it's got some modern stuff over there, yeah. Yeah. On the left you've got the sink and the island has a nice um, sort of a ceiling light on top of it, even though the ceiling light is kind of built into the, the ceiling Yeah, it's itself. like down lighters, but it's got a nice yeah. surround like a nice ornate surround above to make it look a bit more dated hmm maybe, uh, the maybe that is original I mean yeah maybe <laughs> you never know they modified it so they it's more modern this lounge looks very normal I, I guess you could say there's but the furnishings are very old fashioned aren't they well, I mean yeah they might be new but they're definitely trying to keep in with the, the way the house the age yeah of the that's that theme, as I said earlier, they're trying to like hold the theme, trying to mm. keep it there. Yeah, like the the sofas don't look very modern at all. And then you've got the two draw, like the two um, chests of drawers. Yeah, they're they're Side also boards. very um, old fashioned. Like the old fashioned design is there. They they look very like chunky and and big, not very stable as well. Um, oh, is there's that more the garden? garden. There's, oh, wow. It's like a um, <laughs> vegetable garden, a lawn, and there's like trellis. There's kind of a, a thing that goes over the path. I can't remember what that's called now. Mm. It's like a walkway uh, with plants growing over the top. Yeah, so no, it looks really nice, I must say. It's got orchards, so you've got your own fruit trees. Paddock, tennis court, and swimming pool. So it doesn't why did actually they, show why didn't they? Yeah, why didn't they take a photo of that as well? That would be crazy to see, like, all of that. I mean, it is 10 acres of land, right? Mm. So we're not looking at 13 acres, but we're still looking at 10. Yeah, I think you could... you probably have enough acreage, 10 acres. <laughs> right, well, I guess with that, we will be ending the, uh, this week's podcast. I hope you liked it and uh, whoever of you uh, who stayed tuned to this one I hope you stay tuned for the next one make yeah, sure you subscribe you yeah make sure you subscribe and like Matthew said at the beginning we've now got uh, Twitter a Facebook and we've uh, we are available on the different platforms so make sure you follow us on whichever platform suits you the best and you know stay tuned with us Yep, thanks again for tuning in and uh, see you in episode four next week. Cheers, bye. Bye.